This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Like the Kokako, the saddleback or tieke belongs to the New Zealand wattlebird family. A family to which the huia belonged and which has been established in this country since ancient times, much longer than most of our other birds. The saddleback takes its name from the bright reddish saddle on its back, which according to legend is the mark of Maui's hand. Sadly, this attractive bird has disappeared from the main islands and exists only on a few offshore islands, carefully chosen locations for resettlement away from predators, which appears to have saved the tieke from total extinction. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa, You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Hello, friends. It's good to have you with Community or Chaos. And we have as our guest today Felicity Cunton, who's a member of the Seniors Climate Change Action Network, SCAN, and Jet Ganaway of Generation Zero and the Extinction Rebellion. Welcome to Community or Chaos. You can podcast this program later on by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast and then going to Community or Chaos. Felicity, how do you see the future for humanity and other animals if we don't reduce carbon um, warming to below 2 degrees centigrade? Well, frankly, we are facing the greatest crisis humanity has ever faced. There are so many um, consequences of climate change. It's hard to uh, list them all just here. but and we absolutely have to do something about it. Um, time is this. Yeah. Uh, Jet, would you like to add anything to this? Absolutely, Marvin. Um, I think, as we are all well aware, climate change is the biggest and most pressing issue facing both my generation but also Felicity's. Um, and the fact is, the consequences are so wide reaching that we can't even begin to discuss them in just such short time. They will affect every single segment of the market of people, humanities, deepest, widest reaches of our planets and oceans that we haven't even considered. And those consequences are so catastrophic and irreversible that even talking about them is futile. It is action that's needed now. Do you read the Otago Daily Times, either of you? Uh, yes, I do. What do you think of uh, Peter Matheson's article saying that we should think about other th- things beyond COVID-19? I don't know if I can speak specifically to that article, um, but the fact is COVID-19 is a huge pressing, pressing issue at the moment. Um, 
But the reason COVID-19 has had such a strong response globally is because it's immediate and it is very recognisable to people in their day-to-day lives. Um, Climate change for those of us in Western countries at the moment doesn't pose as much of an immediate response, that fight or flight response for people. It doesn't mean it's not important. It's arguably as if not more important. But you can see where those sort of that sort of emotive language comes from, where people are talking about the fact of COVID-19 is the most pressing issue, and that's just because it's so immediately in people's faces. How important is COP26 to the world? Um, Felicity and Jet, and Jet over you. Well, um, <clears throat> COP26 is the most important meeting of nations we have ever had, or will have, um, because it's absolutely crucial that we get countries worldwide to agree on action. Um, most countries have set a net zero target of 2050, but it needs to be much sooner than that. I think it's generally agreed it needs to be much sooner than that, 2030, or even sooner than that again. Um, these are unfortunately um, there are certain nations that are dragging the chain. Um, for example, Saudi Arabia is lobbying to remove recommendations that the world needs to phase out fossil fuels, and other countries are um, trying to change the lobbying um, and make their country exempt from having to meet these targets. Hopefully, with the diplomacy of the UK, who are running the meetings, these um, (coughs) issues will be widely discussed and overcome, and actual better targets will be set, and the time frame will be speeded up, which is what is absolutely necessary. Is it... um Jed, is there anything new about corporations trying to either deny climate change or slow government actions and suggest that uh, it's all individual actions that matter and corporations and governments don't need to be involved because the market will solve it? Oh, there is nothing new, Marvin. This has been going on since mid the mid-1950s when ExxonMobil <clears throat> has been well aware of the warming effects of oil and gas production, and countless, countless, countless other companies. So there is nothing new in this regard. But it is, in a small respect, heartening to see that is now reaching mainstream news and people's mainstream consciousness that that's going on. But unfortunately, there is nothing new about it. And all we can do is stand up against it. How do you feel about, both of you, how do you feel about the fact that New Zealand's one of the worst performers when it comes to emissions. And um, that um, our emissions have risen by 57% between 1990 and 1918. Well, frankly, Marvin, it's despicable. Um, We're a developed country. We have the resources. We have the means. That means we could have one of the world's most leading 
circular economies that doesn't create this waste of our current economy that is sustainable for people, um, upholds our two treaty partnerships and so many other things. And we've failed at that is the frank answer. We do have a chance to turn it around, but we need to act soon and with haste. Um, but honestly, Marvin, it's sad, but we can, we can change that. Felicity, you've been involved in this for a long time too. Which, how do you feel about that? Well, I think it's regrettable that um, this has been said about New Zealand. We are almost, I believe we're about 80% um, renewables, um, but we have to do better than that and make it 100%. Unfortunately, we are producing a lot of methane which is going into the atmosphere. It's a greenhouse gas. It um, is 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide. Um, it doesn't stay up there as long, but um, it is also a greenhouse gas, and most of that methane is coming from dairy cows. Our dairy herds have increased enormously over the last few years. It's a great moneymaker for New Zealand. But um, to reach our targets, the targets that we have agreed to, we probably need to reduce our dairy herds by as much as 50%. Is this one of the problems of the New Zealand economy? We, for a long time, we were sending um, wool overseas in the 19th century. And then we started sending frozen meat and lamb overseas. But we sent one thing. We depended whole economy on trade, usually with the so-called mother country, Great Britain. And now we're doing the same thing with dairy, um, dairy milk products, uh, dried uh, milk, sending it to China instead of Great Britain. But it's the same kind of thing. And did we de- did we make a mistake when we decided to depend on international trade almost entirely for our economy and get rid of the diversity in our economy, and particularly manu- our own manufacturing and things like that in the 1980s and 90s? Did that lead us to where we are now? Well, Marvin, uh, not necessarily. Uh, global trade is not part of solving the climate crisis, but it is certainly a useful tool. Um, but unfortunately, the manner in which we are doing it at the moment is completely unsustainable. And just oh, one could argue, though, that to be sustainable, a country needs a variety of industries and uh, ways of doing business. That is, that's quite true. But we, um, we have to be more self-sufficient, I believe. And um, there are many ways that we can do that, many other ways than um, supporting uh, dairy herds and other animal stock. What do you use? Uh, what would some of these ways be, both of you? 
Well, look, what we'd be looking for is the New Zealand government to actually represent that methane emissions and such uh, need to be regarded as part of our emissions trading scheme. Um, the emissions trading scheme, while a very strong step, is actually a huge cop-out, um, and it's insulting to New Zealanders the fact that agricultural, the agricultural sector was so widely exempt from these new regulations. And while that is a large portion of our economy, this economy isn't sustainable if we don't have a planet that can support it. Um, so that's what we need to be talking about. We need to be talking about the fact those indirect subsidies that we're providing to our agricultural sector and the actual harm that they're doing to our wider economy and to our people. This isn't the first time this issue has come up. I don't believe it. In the Helen Clark's government, the first three years, they were talking about a carbon tax. And it was the commerce, the roundtable, the business community, and the farmers. Remember the fart tax? Uh, or probably remember hearing about the fart tax. It might have been before your time. But that all, they frightened the government into dropping a carbon tax back, you know, 20 years ago or more. Yeah, that's correct. And it's a complete shame that it frightened the government into dropping it because the framing around those terms of fart tax was just incorrect. I mean, a fart tax, it wasn't that. It was talking about the intensification of dairy herds in lands that they're not supposed to be in, that high country pastoral grazing, intensive winter grazing and such are not natural environments. And that fart tax is brought on by those entirely intensified activities, um, which we should know better than. Yes, I agree. I think it should be introduced for anything which is adding um, greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. We have to reduce that. What do you think about Greta Ginsburg's uh, comments about the fact that we've been talking about this at conferences for, you know, 20 years. And she seems to think that mostly it's hot air. It's well, admittedly, it is um, tremendously challenging financially, technically, and politically. But we, if we want to survive as a species, we have to confront it, face up to it, and start doing things. And the sooner the better. What do you think about the uh, past and present governments, the fact that they've chosen to almost universally use the market to deal with climate change instead of carbon taxes and regulations. Do you think well, Marvin, that is, oh, that is the system that we have been, that system I've been brought up in, that system most of us have been brought up in yeah. But it's not the solution that's going to lead us to fix the situation. It's not the system that has the power to consider those sort of externalized effects on marginalized people and our 
native species and so many other things, they have entirely failed to be considered by the market system. And that's why we need to look at it from a more holistic approach um, and not just be able to place dollar values in everything because you can't place a dollar value on the value. You can't place a dollar value on the hoiho, our little blue penguins, um, and so many other things. Um, I agree with that. I think we have to go back to a simpler way of living. We cannot continue with economic growth um, and be sustainable. It is not sustainable. We have exceeded the um, carrying capacity of planet Earth. What we've been doing is, is completely unsustainable, and we must go back to a simpler way of life for everybody. Felicity, I can't agree more. That is well said. Does a simpler way of life include uh, more equality and more security for uh, the ordinary people? I think it does. I think it will. Does a government have responsibility for this? Oh, absolutely. We have to provide the means and the and assist people to live in a more sustainable way. Everybody. Okay, I'm going to play a piece of music now and then we'll come back. Say the grass is greener on the other side. I used to think that way before, but when I sit by the riverside, I don't need anything more. I don't need anything more. I don't need anything more. When I sit by the riverside, I don't need anything more. Chevrons of geese, overhead they fly, winter sun flights by the score. But when I see Ryan rise I don't need anything more I don't need anything more I don't need anything more When I see Ryan rise I don't need anything Sometimes I'm drawn 
to your city lights and hear the street traffic roar But soon I long for a clear starry night Cause I don't need anything more I don't need anything more I don't need anything more Soon I long for a clear starry night Cause I don't need anything Some girls who could have turned my head And sent me crashing to the floor But I will lie where I have made my bed Cause I don't need anything more I don't need anything more I don't need anything more I will lie where I have made my bed Cause I don't need anything When I'm thinking of all my cares And troubles come knocking at my door I will walk these hills and breathe the air Cause I don't need anything more I don't need anything more I don't need anything more I will walk these hills and breathe the air Cause I don't need anything more I don't need anything more I don't need anything more I will walk these hills and breathe the air Cause I don't need anything more That was Kenny Spears' Sleepwalk from the album's Sleepwalking. And we're talking with Facility Cunton, Seniors Climate Change Action Network, and Jet Ganway, Generation Zero and Extinction Rebellion, talking about COP22. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and going to podcast and going to community or chaos. Considering that over half of all uh, cumulative global emissions have taken place since 1990, the year that the first ICPCC report was published, was it a mistake to individualize carbon footprint measuring um, and for the last generation, mostly talking about 
recycling, sustainability, taking the bus, and an individual carbon footprint measuring. Instead of holding corporations, political parties, and government officials to, to account. Oh, entirely, Marvin. Um, and as we're well aware, ExxonMobil and a number of other large oil and gas companies in the 1970s began their campaign campaigns of dis- misinformation, leading to indiv- aiming to individualize that carbon footprint. And sadly, they were very effective. Yeah, uh, we've got a lot of work to go now to work against what the damage those companies have done. Um, but yes, it was entirely a mistake to individualize those carbon footprints. It is not the individual's fault. It is the fault of large corporations, whilst made up of individuals that don't act like them, and we need to work to hold them accountable. When we talk about carbon change and so on, do we have to take into consideration that we live in a class society? that not everybody can afford to buy an electric car or have um, alternative, go off the grid, for instance. Oh, again, Marvin, that's entirely a success of the oil and gas lobby and individualizing the impacts of our emissions. The fact is, no, not everyone should need to be able to buy an electric car, and we should have a system that allows people not to own a car. the current system we have, most cars sit on the side of the road 95-plus percent of the time unused. And, well, if you think about that, how wasteful is that? I quite agree. I feel that um, we have to progress on both levels, holding corporations and governments accountable, but also individuals are extremely important we have to perhaps think about it in terms of getting on a war footing as they did, as the Allies did uh, for World War II, where every single individual is doing their utmost to improve the situation. That is what it's going to need. There are lots of things that individual people can do, um, making decisions about whether you have a car at all, Um, making decisions about um, whether you're going to grow your own food and your own garden, making decisions about waste, about um, conservation, about using electricity. All of these things will help. Every single bit helps. Um, Ideally, we need to get everybody involved. It's that important. Are we customers and stakeholders, or are we citizens who held a responsibility to hold politicians and government to account to accountability? I mean, often when you come across the bureaucracy these days, we're we're treated like customers or cli- instead of clients. We're not often not treated like. So should we take back our citizenship? It's a shame, Marvin. Um, you see large organisational structures, MSD, even talking about customers, and they talk about clients. And that's not the right terminology that we should be using in these governmental organisations. At the end of the day, we are all people, and we live on this one planet. And it's not the corporations or the clients that are going to be affected by the decisions we're all making. 
it's the planet and it's the entire ecosystem that we need to be considering. So I'd, I would argue for the use of the term people because that is what we are. But aren't these corporations and government, shouldn't they be held accountable to the citizen, the citizenship of the earth and the citizenship of the various countries? Absolutely. Isn't that, our, isn't that a bigger responsibility in a way than the recycling we do or the fact that you can afford an electric car? Absolutely, Marvin. Um, and that also comes down to the, <clears throat> the age-old problem that by splitting us up into all so many different countries, that really sh- splits the problem. And it means people can't work collaboratively together to solve the issues that we're facing on a day-to-day problem on a day-to-day basis. Um, and you see that. You see that with Carbon's emissions trading and that. And it's all a part of this huge game of pass the parcel instead of actually fixing the problem. Do you think that we, that people have to take a role in perhaps getting out in the streets like in the civil rights movement or like in the 1930s that there's a place for actual mass protest because we're going to be massively affected. I believe that there there is a mass protest, but it's the individual's choice whether they join it or not or whether they find some other way of protesting or making their voices heard. That um, all of these things are an important part of our response to what is happening. And I can't agree with Felicity enough there. Uh, mass protest is, well, it's effective. We look at the UK, and the UK, to their credit, is one of the countries that is making some of the greatest strides towards carbon zero. And that, I believe, has been largely fueled by protests from the likes of Extinction Rebellion and the such, which have been impactful and noticeable to every member, every citizen in the UK. Does... Capitalism need to change. Do we need to have different values besides economic growth? And should the the goals of the economy be different than they are now? Absolutely. Oh, quite quite yeah. frankly, we should be talking about degrowth. Yes, that is what we are. We need to head towards. Either we have a planned order contraction or degrowth of our economy or else um, we're in for a far more disruptive contraction which will be forced upon us by nature. What do you think about the new law requiring companies to review, to uh, take into account um, and assess climate change risk to the to the economy and to their their corporations we need to be open and honest about everything that we're doing um it has to be out there so that anyone can learn about it and anyone can respond to it that's the most important part of the whole um process of ensuring that we make the right decisions and move in the right direction so you think this uh, new disclosure law is actually quite a good thing? 
Yes, I do. When we consider the changes we need, for instance, fewer cars on the road and um, fewer cows in the pasture and more, um, less carbon, basically, in the economy, do we have to consider how we can make that happen so that the people on the bottom aren't the worst, aren't the first to suffer, and there's a, a, an equalitarian approach. For instance, as there was in Great Britain during World War II, the Engl the working class in England actually ate better in World War II under rationing than they had just a few years before the war. Oh, absolutely, Marvin, and that's why we've been calling for an equitable equitable transition for quite some time. Um, but what we'll see is if you look on a worldwide scale, those people who are actually at the bottom of the layer are the people who are contributing the least. And that's all the more reason um, while, this trans while this transition needs to prioritise those people. It's those of us living in Western countries who consume the most, uh, use the most and waste the most that are the ones who should be affected by the transition the most because that is the only equitable way to do things. That's true, but it's also true that even, certainly in New Zealand or in America, um, certain groups of people are much have a much harder time dealing with this kind of change because they don't have any uh, surplus wealth or and they're not sure or they'll even be able to pay the rent or have a place to sleep no, Marvin you're entirely correct and we cannot leave anybody behind in this transition um, so that is the responsibility of us as people uh, NGOs, governments and really everyone just coming together to make sure that we don't leave people behind in an equitable transition does the fact that Actually, the housing shortage hasn't been dealt with, or even though we've actually admitted it over the last nine years. Very little has been done. Don't we actually have to hold the governance more into account on all these issues than we have in the recent past? Yes, we do. We have to be sure that we make it clear that everybody should have basic, healthy, warm housing, however we achieve it. That should be a human right. Okay, I'm going to play some more music and we'll come back. Before, but part of me still lives here, 
Now and then I find myself on a journey home I'm returning home And her beauty Her beauty is La 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 
sense of entitlement is now fixed in our heads And we think it's so smart to defecate in our own beds We all know nothing is for free To poison those after us will be our legacy As our affluent effluent flows into our seas Comes back to us full circle in the form of disease And she tried to warn us, but he's no longer here We killed him because he tried to teach us to share How can we consume more than we produce? The equation's impossible, this is a simple truth Well, lately my head's been in a I just woke up in a system that I know is wrong Wake up my sisters, la 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 Wake up my brothers, la 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 Wake up my sisters, la 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 Wake up my brothers, la 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 Well, you got two songs for the price of one since uh, a technical mishap on my part when doing the CD. And they were both by um, Craig Smith, 45 Degrees South. And we're talking with Felicity Cotton and Jet Galloway of Generation Zero and uh, Seniors Climate Change Action Network scan and Extinction Rebellion. Oh, what do you expect, friends of um, COVID? I mean, um, COP twenty six. What do you hope for for COP twenty six? Well, what, what I hope will happen there, and I think that the world desperately needs, is international cooperation and involvement in setting new targets for net zero uh, commitments of the wealthy nations to help or to finance developing countries away from greenhouse gas, mining more coal and building new coal-fired power plants. Also to help manage the effects of climate change like uh, severe and frequent that we've uh, already seen uh, increasing in number. It seems that um, climate change is happening faster than was anticipated and also is more extreme. We've seen extreme weather events already around the world. Deadly wildfires in, in California and Australia. And um, we have to try to keep our global warming 
down below 2 degrees centigrade, preferably 1.5. Heat increase from 1.5 degrees centigrade to 2 degrees centigrade means twice as many people will um, face water scarcity and over 1.5 billion people will be exposed to deadly heat extremes. So we just try, must try to avoid those things. So we're hoping that at COP26 we'll get new targets set by um, uh, many countries worldwide. We also need to get those wealthy countries committing to, help it, to helping less developed countries. And we have to acknowledge that the clock is ticking. COP26 has to make it very clear that time is running out. So um, the big players are the top, top five big players at the conference, and we can talk about those later if you like. All right, let's talk about that now. What should we de- de- ask for besides new proclamations about uh, cutting back on carbon and reaching certain goals. We've been setting goals for the last um, two or three or four of these conferences and then not reaching the goals. What what kind of, should we be take? should these governments and these conferences be taking actions as well as setting goals? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, USA, that's the second largest contributor to global greenhouse gas emissions, it plays a a crucial role in influencing the rest of the world. Um, Such things as energy markets and facilitating transfer of resources to help developing countries. And they've made a significant commitment of 50 to 52% cut in emissions from their 2005 levels by 2030. Um, and they're saying that they will double funds to developing countries of up to US $11 billion by 2024. So this is all good, but um, it will also hopefully encourage and convince other countries to take stronger action, like China and um, possibly Australia. Then there's China is extremely important because it's the world's largest greenhouse gas emitter um, and the largest uh, producer of coal and the second largest world economy. But um, although they have not made any new coal-fired power stations outside of China, they have made no new emission reduction targets since the Paris um, Agreement and no confirmation of um, that uh, they will actually attend the um, COP26. Then there's UK who are hosting the meeting um, and they have the world's biggest climate target, so 78% reduction from 1990 levels by 2035. Um, They will have the job of using their diplomatic skills to get countries' climate pledges into actual action. So one of the things we're hoping that will happen at COP26 is is that the countries involved will actually 
say what their action is going to be and how they're going to achieve it. There's also Russia and India to consider and other countries. What's New Zealand going to promise besides that we'll cut our emissions? But are we going to say how we're going to cut our emissions? Or what, are we going to say that we're going to deal with agriculture? What are we going to say? Well, let's hope that we are going to say something about agriculture and um, something about um, closing down coal-fired power stations and um, ceasing to mine coal, which we're still doing of, and trying to get to 100% renewables. And further on to what... Um very good commentary from Felicity there, which I wholeheartedly and entirely agree with. Um, we need to start talking further than net zero. We need to be talking net positive. Uh, we need to be talking about actually sitting back because what we we know, the science tells us that emissions have already created long lasting effects in this atmosphere. So we need to be start. We need to start talking about huge tree planting programs and taking carbon out of the atmosphere. Um, because otherwise we are still leading towards this entirely unequitable future. So furthermore than net zero, we need to be talking about net positive. Do you think that... How aware are people about that perspective, actually, that we actually um, not only have to stop emitting, but that we actually have to draw down on carbon? Do you think the population... People aren't aware. Yeah. People, people are not aware because you have this systemic campaign of misinformation and lies from oil companies and so many other huge polluters worldwide that has been going for decades, 50-plus years now. Um, and you can understand why people aren't aware. But we need to work towards a system where people are well-informed and understand um, the situation that we're in. If we um, take on our responsibilities, what kind of society would you hope to have in New Zealand? Well, New Zealand can expect to work towards a circular economy where people don't unnecessarily waste resources. Look, we're coming up to Christmas season. Um, and the amount of waste that Christmas creates on an absolute yearly basis is unimaginably high. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that we need to start straining away from. And we need to work towards a system where people live in communities and respect the land, the resources, uh, and work with them like we have done for hundreds of thousands of years. It's almost a return to that. I the waste that goes on is horrific. I also feel that um, we really need to, to develop our recycling processes a great deal more. We're absolutely overrun with plastic. And here again, here is where technological development is needed to develop systems which can deal with mm. the plastic that we're generating. We should not be sending our waste overseas for other people to deal with. How do you feel about the fact that actually the life of 
things we buy has gotten shorter and shorter from computers to uh, cell phones to washing machines. Uh, I and, would agree that that is um, something that we can do. I something. mean, this is continually, purposely, it's called planned obsolescence, but it's per- the lifetime of the things we use has gotten shorter, and that means a, a huge amount of waste. Of, it is, it's very annoying to buy an expensive piece of equipment and then find something go wrong with it within two or three years. But what kind of solution? It has to be constructed and designed in the first place. Perhaps it's more expensive, so it's something that will last. Uh, and the people who are producing it need to um, be sure that when it is no longer functioning, they can either fix it or else they can dispose of it. And they have the responsibility to do that, not the person who's bought it. It is. Is there any re- movement to make that happen, to uh, provide legislation for that? Yes, well, such legislation has already been introduced in other countries, for example, in um, uh, Singapore, I believe, they have that legislation. Um, and I, I think we should have it in New Zealand as well. Do we need to start thinking of the economy as something that should be uh, beneficial to the earth and also beneficial to the collective whole of people and animals, including people, instead of um, something that we just profit by as much as we possibly can? Our, our economies obviously have been based on money and monetary gain. We have to change our way of thinking and um, go to a world where we are concerned about each other, we're concerned about all life on Earth. Otherwise, we simply will not survey it long term. Does the climate change movement, where do they go from here, Jed? Big problem, Marvin. Where do you think the climate change movement needs to go from now? It needs to grow, 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 and just become an ingrained part of our daily life. It's not the climate change movement. It is our lives. It is our lives and the lives of the other 8 billion people on this planet that are on the line. Um, and that is where we need to be looking at going from here. We need to be looking at working towards a system that is sustainable, that recognizes the fact that our current system is so inequitable in so many ways. And we need to make systematic changes nearly overnight. And they're not going to be easy. No one is going to pretend that they are, but they're going to be necessary and they're certainly going to be more than beneficial for generations to come. Should you be considering making allies, for instance, with the union movement and trying to find where you have things in common? I'd argue we already do. Um, I think one of the most important bits about the climate change movement um, is the fact that we do have allies in so many places. It's about growing them, and that's why it's such a pleasure having Felicity here today from SCAN, and it shows that we can work intergenerationally and across so many other pathways. Okay, thank you very much for coming on, and appreciate your efforts. 
for all of us, really, and for life on Earth. Thanks for having us, Marvin. Thank you, Marvin. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.